very warm welcome to a new episode of the UPSC Prep Decoded, a podcast by the Abhyankas IS for UPSC aspirants so that you can study on the go. This is our 32nd episode and I am your host Shreya. This episode is a continuation in our series on environment. So be sure to check the previous episodes, episode number 29, 30 and 31. Today our topic is Tracing India's Environmental Legislations, Part 2, in conversation with our director and mentor, Ashaya Bhankar. Welcome to this episode, sir. Thanks, Shreya. Sir, can we say that the National Green Tribunal has given a new outlook to environmental jurisprudence in India? Absolutely. So when we look at the birth and the growth of the National Green Tribunal, it would be nice to run our listeners through a little bit of history. So in the post-industrialization era, the rapid development of economic activities had led to widespread negligence of environment and related concerns. With a massive change in climatic factors and depletion of resources, there was a rising challenge with regarding to how you are going to protect the nature and the environment and how is it going to be possible for nature to sustain itself. So the National Green Tribunal is a step towards protecting our environmental concerns and also promoting sustainable development. In 1992, during the Rio summit of the United Nations, India had pledged to provide judicial and administrative remedies for victims of pollutants and other environmental damage. A lot of these learnings had come from the Bhopal gas tragedy that had led to the enactment of the Environment Protection Act of 1986, but some kind of a judicial or enforcement mechanism was still, still at large. So this has paved the way for the National Green Tribunal Act 2010, which was enforced for the creation of a special tribunal to handle the expeditious disposal of cases pertaining to environmental issues. The NGT in a crux draws its inspiration from India's constitutional provisions of Article 21, which assure the citizens of India the right to a healthy, clean and safe environment. So the National Green Tribunal has essentially been established under the National Green Tribunal Act of 2010. It is a specialized body having the necessary expertise to handle environmental disputes that involve multidisciplinary issues. For example, you would be looking at cases that relate to environmental protection, those that facilitate enforcement of legal rights related to the environment. It would also encompass factors that give relief and compensation for damages to persons and property or both for matters connected to or incidental to the environment. And most importantly, it focuses on making environmental justice accessible which really was an issue only in the realm of thinking, but not really practicable. So the NGT has the power to hear all civil cases uh, that relate to environmental issues, questions that are linked uh, to Schedule 1 of the NGT Act, covering a wide ambit of issues. For example, the Water Act 1974, the Water Cess Act 77, uh, the Air Act 1981, the Environment Protection Act, 1986, the Biological Diversity Act 2002, which we touched upon in our last episode. So you see that this significance of a separate tribunal 
is basically to ensure that developmental concerns are met but they are not sacrificed at the altar of the environment so the ngt is responsible for ensuring that its strength of 10 expert members and 10 judicial members allows it to fulfill all the necessary requirements that focus on environment protection environment conservation sustainable development and environmental justice great sir that was a very good in depth analysis for us the ngt's genesis its history why we need it and what it does to make environmental justice accessible moving on to the next topic sir the napcc the national action plan for climate change which was launched in 2008 and it covers eight national missions which represent multi pronged long term and integrated strategies for achieving key goals in climate change one of them is the national mission for sustainable agriculture could you talk a little bit about the ongoing schemes and initiatives that the government has undertaken under the nmsa uh, absolutely sure this is a very pertinent question you see particularly in the light of the covid pandemic most of the stimulus packages and most of the focus has been on the agricultural sector the the focus of the government over the past half a decade or so has been to initiate agricultural reforms not only in terms of legislations laws and the like but also to facilitate better management of agriculture to reduce the role of intermediaries ensure that the farm to the fork actually have a better outlay and where the farmers focus on agriculture less as an activity and more as an as an industry so when you look at the national mission for sustainable agriculture it has been formulated to essentially enhance agricultural productivity particularly in rain fed areas uh, and the focus points are on integrated farming water use efficiency uh, soil health management and synergizing resource conservation so the whole idea is to ensure that you see the natural resources can be conserved uh, you are able to adopt practices that are healthy uh, for soil fertility maps you are trying to have soil test based application of macro and micronutrients there is an optimum and judicious use of fertilizers water facilities um, are enhanced to allow for expanded coverage particularly under an initiative which is popularly known as more crop per drop in addition to that you are ensuring that the capacity of farmers and the necessary stakeholders is you know undertaken in conjunction with multiple other activities for example the national mission on agriculture extension and technology the national food security mission the national initiative for climate resilience agriculture so the the focus of the program which the government has been undertaking for some time now is to pilot models in select blocks which essentially improve productivity they work and leverage other government schemes like the mg nrega the integrated water shared management program and it essentially also focuses on better coordination which essentially has been one of the major areas of stress whereby you realize that inter and intra departmental ministerial coordination has been lacking because of which key deliverables which have been enlisted under the national mission for sustainable agriculture you know under the broader ambit of the napcc is not being met now when you look at this sustainable agriculture concept you see you are not looking at agriculture merely in in one isolated silo so you are also looking at covering 
crops, livestock, fishery, plantation, pasture-based composite farming, which essentially enhance uh, the livelihood opportunities. You are also ensuring food security that minimizes risk from crop failure and essentially creates residual production systems. So when you try to promote this kind of effective management through the scientific application of soil management, water management, conservation, sustainability, and the like, you are having the necessary intervention that is needed for you know, multiple activities. For example, development of horticulture or with regard to extension of technologies, focus on rainfed area development farm water management, soil health management. So as a result of that, the concepts that help with monitoring, modeling, networking, actually create the necessary assistance, the wherewithal, structural frameworks that allow agriculture to be sustainable, not only as a concept, but actually on the ground, benefiting farmers, allowing them to double their incomes, enhance their livelihoods, and turn agriculture into a profitable, sustainable, and industrious activity. Thank you, sir. Sir, so continuing with the same topic, sir, of agriculture, uh, the next question is, prior to the Green Revolution in the 1960s, India was home to more than a lakh varieties of rice, encompassing a stunning diversity in taste, nutrition, pest resistance, and crucially, in this age of climate change and natural disasters, also adaptability to a range of conditions. So today, much of this biodiversity is irretrievably lost, forced out by the quest for high yield hybrids and such varieties. So this shows us how closely sustainable agriculture is linked to biodiversity. What needs to be done in this direction, sir? Uh, that's a very pertinent question, Shreya, particularly if you trace or map the journey of India's food security. We've gone through, you know, major hiccups, right, from the fact of having a physical scarcity of food to an economic scarcity of food, excessive use of fertilizers, pesticides, insecticides, which led to high yielding varieties of rice and wheat in the Green Revolution, to a major destruction of fertility with regard to land holdings, going back to trying to revive the Green Revolution in Eastern India, a focus towards organic cultivation. So India's journey has been a bit of a flip-flop, particularly because we didn't have too much of consistency with how we were looking at developing agriculture given the fact that India is home to 15% of the world's undernourished population. So food security is a pressing problem in India and in the world. So if you look at the United Nations FAO estimates, about 180 million go hungry every day in the country. So evidence for India's food challenge can be found in the fact that the yield per hectare of rice, one of India's principal crops, is around about 2200 kilos per hectare, which lags way behind China or Brazil, which have yields of over 4000 kilos per hectare. So in this situation, even to expand this further, if you look at the cereal yield in the country, we are lagging far, far behind countries like China, Japan and the United States. So a lot of this agricultural production can be attributed to inefficient rural transport, lack of awareness about the treatment of crops, limited access to modern farming technology, and the shrinking agricultural land due to urbanization. Also, another important thing to note is that about 63% of agricultural land is dependent on rainfall, which further depends on the vagaries of nature, creating or adding to difficulties. 
So despite all these odds, we do have a huge potential to increase agricultural productivity, particularly to meet food requirements of our growing population. So if you look at sustainable agriculture techniques that would enable resource efficiency, they would help in greater agricultural output. They would ensure profitability, optimum utilization of water and energy. So for example, for soil enhancement, currently we have certified biodegradable mulch films which are available, right? This mulch is made available through PE concepts which don't have problems of unwanted overhead of disposal. Now, though this seems to be a labor-intensive and time-consuming process to remove the mulch, the soil fertility is not really going to be affected purely because we are putting systems in place that could ensure better agricultural productivity. So we also see that seeds can be treated with enhancements um, that help improve root systems, allow for more efficient water absorption. So the Indian government is trying to focus on large amount of, you know, rather a larger reliance on technology to ensure that food wastage in this country is minimized, particularly perishables like fruits and vegetables, which end up rotting in storehouses purely because we don't have good systems in place, robust systems in place that allow for end connectivity, better distribution and marketing networks and the like. So if you ask me, the sustainability with regard to agriculture, particularly to meet food requirements and to ensure that hunger in this country can be reduced and nutritional requirements can be met. I believe that there are three major areas of focus. One would be production. The second is storage. And the third is distribution. So if we are able to set up better agricultural value chains where companies offer cutting edge seed treatments, protect crops from disease, enhance plant health benefits, certify compostable milch, allow for reduction in labor costs, you will realize that India is in a state wherein it will try to have a better outreach towards farmers. For example, um, there are programs like the Samriddhi program, which was initiated between 2007 to 2014, right? Which reached close to about 23,000 farmers and this program allowed for training, personal protection, tools, equipment through light on sustainability and responsible use of crop protection products. So as a result of that, if we have a multi-pronged kind of approach, wherein not only are you plugging in all the necessary stakeholders and all the different legs of the value chain, but you are trying to have a more holistic approach towards dealing with agriculture, and allowing for affordability and accessibility of sustainable systems, you would see that not only will you be able to meet the food requirements and the issues of physical and economic security, but agriculture will actually turn out to be a very, very profitable initiative and will protect majority of India's population in a country that inherently has always been agrarian. Great, sir. The specific examples that you gave, the successes and outcomes uh, you explained, will definitely help our listeners understand the issue better. So thank you, sir, as usual, uh, for your time and patience to answer all our questions. This episode and the entire environment series has been very, very insightful. I'm sure the listeners have gained a lot. Your inputs, feedback, suggestions, and most importantly, your questions are of importance to us. Do send them in and we will try our best to address them. If you like this episode, please show us some love.
by hitting the like button. Download the episode to access your favorite episode anytime, anywhere. We are now available on major streaming platforms, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify. We also have a Facebook page, an Instagram handle, and a Twitter handle, all by the name of Abhyankar's IL. Please do visit our website and to get in touch with us, our email ID is info at abhyankarias.com. So that's it for today, folks. See you in a week's time. Meanwhile, stay safe, stay wise, and have a great day.